0: Two quick announcements here that I forgot to mention during announcements. Uh, first off, there is a prayer quilt in the kitchen. And if you want to here uh, after church, go in and pray over that. We have an individual that's going through a tough time, and uh, she could really be blessed by that. And so if you uh, aren't familiar with the prayer quilt ministry, you go in there, and there's uh, strings on there. And as you pray for this person, you tie a knot, and uh, that then the quilt is given to that person. And that quilt then, as they have that, that shows them being covered in prayer. Wonderful ministry. We have a gal going through a tough time that could really be blessed by that. So if you would like to, after church, go in there and pray for that. The Lord knows the situation. Uh, another thing, too, real quick. A uh, situation popped this week where somebody could be a use of a bed. If anybody has an extra bed, uh, see Pastor Rich, let him know. Or if you can't find Rich, let me know. And uh, we will try to uh, hook up party A and party B on that. So uh, just a couple things there I want to let you know. All righty, Revelation, Chapter 8. <clears throat> now, with our study here through the Book of Revelation, in, in the case I didn't mention, sheets are available back there on the back. Um, With our study here through the book of Revelation, we've been building up to this. Revelation 8, it it gets rough. There's no way around that. Uh, We are into something now called the trumpet judgments. And if you remember correctly, when we started this and we talked about the seal judgments in Revelation 6, we talked about how the seal judgments were a walk in the park compared to the trumpet judgments. Trumpet judgments are a walk in the park compared to the bowl judgments. Well... We're into the trumpet judgments tonight. Now, just a couple quick reminders. If you look at the top of your sheet here, just some reminders, especially when you start getting into Revelation 8 and 9 and the rest of this, because it gets rough. Some quick points. Look at point number one. Tribulation is God's cleaning house before his return. I think we've said this every week since we started studying the book of Revelation. That the earth is the Lord's. It's his. When sin entered the world, the Bible says that Satan became the ruler of this world, the god of this age. Not because he overpowered God, but because we as human beings turned ourselves over to sin. So therefore, then, since our world was turned over to sin, because we chose to sin. So now when Christ returns to reset up His kingdom on this earth, He has to clean house before He comes. So the tribulation is God cleaning house before His return. Please note also, in that 2 Peter 3, 9-10, through 10. that should be 2 Peter, not 1 Peter, the wrath of God has built up over thousands of years. The Bible says in those passages that God is not slack concerning His promise, but long-suffering, patient, He's patient with us because the longer He waits to return, the more opportunity there is for people to get saved in grace. more opportunity for people to get saved before the tribulation happens. So the longer He waits, the more opportunity is for people to get saved before His return. Because even though many people would get saved during the tribulation, we talked about that last week in Revelation 7, it's going to be rough. So His grace is Him waiting. Always remember that. And number three, this is a big one, God still gives the world chances to repent. Throughout all this destruction, throughout all this judgment, there are numerous opportunities for the world to repent. Last week, it was the 144,000. Here in a couple weeks, it's the two witnesses. Tonight, there's an angel flying over, proclaiming the gospel. So there's opportunity after opportunity for people to repent. The sad part is many choose not to. So as we get into these trumpet judgments here tonight, starting in Revelation 8, they're tough. Now the first few trumpet judgments, the first four, deal with the natural side of things. And then from trumpet judgment five on, it's actually attacks on humans. So keep that in the back of your mind. Revelation 8, verse 1. It says, When he opened the seventh seal... There was silence in heaven for about half an hour, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them was given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, which is the prayer of the saints, ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Now, we've had the seal judgments, chapter 6, and now we're into the trumpet judgments. The seventh seal opens up the seven trumpets. Now, first things first here. I found verse 1 interesting. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about a half hour. A calm before the storm. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I know at home if the boys are doing something wrong and I hear things going on in their room and I go into their room and I analyze the situation, they stop, they know they're wrong, they look at me and they wait for me to say something. If I don't say anything, I think that freaks them out more than anything else. Did you ever have the parents that did that or the teachers that did that? Did they stare at you and they never said anything? That's creepier than being yelled at. So when you have this silence in heaven, what's he doing? (laughs) I mean, we just went through these seal judgments I mean, we just saw death on the earth where a fourth of the world was killed. We saw plagues and famine and all this going on in the seal judgments. And now the seventh seal opens and we're what's the net? Nothing, nothing. I tell you, quietness of heaven, that's kind of a scary thing. And So it's the calm before the storm. And what we see happening here is you have these seven angels with the seven trumpets and they get ready to do these seven judgments. But one of the things they do is is this idea of prayer. Did you catch this in verses 3 through 6? It's this idea of prayer. It's our prayers that have gone up to heaven. Look at verse 4. And the smoke of the incense with the prayer of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Our prayers have brought this judgment on earth. Now maybe you have never prayed per se, Lord, judge the earth. But there's been many prayer requests that you have done that have dealt with judgment. You just didn't know that. When you pray for Christ to return, the only way for Christ to return is for him to judge the earth first, then he returns. Now, you may not have been praying, Lord, judge, then you come. But sometimes you pray, Lord, just come quickly. Well, for him to come quickly, he has to judge first. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem all the time. Well, the only way for Jerusalem to have peace is for Jesus to return. The only way for Jesus to return is for him to judge the earth. That's our prayers. Some of you have prayed for your neighbors or loved ones or family members to be saved. God says the only way they're going to be saved is if they go through this tribulation where their eyes get opened. That's kind of a scary thought, but if that's how much God loves them, the say am allowing these things to happen to get their attention. See, here's the thing about prayer. I hear this all the time. I pray and nothing happens. Now, that's not true because God answers every prayer. He answers every prayer with a yes, a no, or a wait. Now, you may not like the answer to that prayer, but your prayer is answered. Your prayer is either answered in the affirmative. Now, those we like... Those are good. Or even if they're answered in the negative. Okay, that's a hard one, but I can suck it up. I can try to see God's will in it. It's the ones where he says, wait. Those are the ones where he says, God doesn't care. He doesn't hear me. He's not answering. He is answering. He just said, wait. I know as a parent, one of the biggest answers I give my boys is, wait. I was preparing a message this morning for a funeral, and Judah needed something. And Judah came in, and he asked, Dad, can you, can you take care of this? I said, can you just give me a few minutes here? Let me finish this up. He said, okay. And I'm not exaggerating. Ten seconds later, Dad, can you? Can you? He can handle yes. He can handle Judah, not now. But the idea of waiting, no. See, so when God says wait, we think he doesn't care. Every prayer you answered is responded in a yes, a no, or a wait. A lot of these prayers right here that are going up in verses 3 through 6, these are the wait prayers. These are the waiting ones. They are not ignored. They are going to be answered in God's time. Just remember that when you pray, it does not fall on death you may not get the answer you want, when you want, or how you want, but isn't it neat to know this little picture of heaven, your prayers are collected, and they will be answered at the right time in the right manner according to God's will. I love that. I absolutely love that. These prayers are time for them to finally be answered, and judgment now is coming on the earth. So what's the first judgment? Verse 7. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and the third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The first trumpet is vegetation being struck. If you will, please turn to Exodus 9. I got that reference right there. And I want us to keep our hand in Exodus because we're going to use this a couple of times. What you're going to see here with some of these trumpet judgments is they line up pretty similar to the uh, plagues that came upon Egypt. Exodus 9, please. Now, with any one of these things, you ask 100 people, you're going to get 100 opinions. So we look at this, and we see this idea of hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and it burns everything up. I've seen very intelligent men say, well, that, that's a nuclear war right there. I don't know. Maybe it is. I've seen people say, that's not a nuclear war. That's a natural disaster. That's all the volcanoes going off. That's everything happening here, and that's burning everything up. Okay, that's quite possible. Maybe it's just something supernatural God's hand. He's already done it once before. Look at Exodus 9, verse 23. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire darted to the ground, and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with hail, so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land. It also could be something that God just happens. Now, if you sit here tonight and say, James, I know it's a natural disaster. I know it's volcanoes going off. I know it's the earth splitting open and lava coming out. God bless you. You say, nope, I believe this is nuclear war. I believe that this is after the battle of of, uh, um, Gog and Magog, and this is the after effect. of. That's fine if you want to believe that. May also just be the Lord's hand of judgment that comes upon the earth. So we don't know exactly the what is. Leave your hand there in Exodus because we'll come back in just a few verses. What matters most is the effect of this. Look at the effect of that. A third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Vegetation is struck, nature is struck. The whole world is under a curse, the Bible says. Everything is under a curse. That's the first trumpet judgment. Next one, verse 8. The second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Some people have thought that this is an asteroid that has come down and hit the water there. We don't know, but we do know the effects of it. Can you imagine a third of the living creatures in the sea dying. What that would do? There's actually something in the world called red tide where microorganisms come and die and it actually turns the water red. Is it a reference to that? could be. My personal opinion where it says right there, a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed and the third of the sea became like blood. But once again, back in Exodus, God's already proven he can turn water into blood. If he wants to do that, he can do that. A third of the ships being destroyed commerce is being attacked here you know those things that we pride ourselves on you know the shipping industry our power our might in a few chapters we are going to get to something called economic Babylon our world system I can remember when I was in college taking economics class they said the most important thing that you could ever invest in are the treasury bills of the government and they said you know why they said if the treasury bills go bad There's bigger problems to worry about than your retirement because the American government will always be steady. Now, that was 10, 15 years ago. Lots changed, hasn't it? So don't we always think that we're going to be able to have enough food? I mean, we live here in the United States. We don't worry about food to eat. We don't worry about those type of things. When all this stuff happens, the green grass is burned up, a third of the trees is destroyed, the sea is like blood, the living creatures are dying, and now a third of the ships are destroyed. We're going to start feeling some effects of that nature is being struck now look at the next one verse 10 then the third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven burning like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water and the name of the star is wormwood a third of the waters became wormwood and many men died from the water because it was made bitter now once again you see the star falling from heaven oh is that some type of meteor that has come down hit the earth and so therefore now fresh water is attacked well we take fresh water for granted here don't we You go turn on the tap you got water so when you see a third of the water now being destroyed and the water now becoming sick, and men are actually dying from it, you see nature being packed. All of the world is under a curse. I cannot stress that passage to you enough. And so what you have here going in the trumpet judgments is they're building. A third of the trees are struck. All the grass is now burned up. A third of the living creatures have become, are, are dead. A third of the sea is now blood. A third of the ships are now destroyed. A third of the water is now undrinkable and many men die from it. You just see there's a building up, building up, building up. Which takes us into verse 12. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise then at night. And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpets of the three angels were about to sound. So what you see here then is, now, is this an effect from all the previous events? I mean, if, if truly all the grass is burning, a third of the trees are burning, if these are meteorites, asteroids hitting the earth, all that smoke, all that ash, all that dirt's going to go up to the sky, and what's it going to do? It's going to darken the sky. That's a fact. So, is that just the natural consequence from the previous trumpet judgments? Well, if you still have your hand in the book of Exodus, you can also see that the Lord has already dealt with this before in the past, too. Exodus chapter 10, look at verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. I don't know how else to say this without sounding dumb, but I've always wondered what darkness that may be felt was like. Trust me, I don't want to go back and experience it. I'm not saying that. But we've all been in areas that were so dark that you literally could not see your hand in front of your face. But I have never felt that was a darkness that could be felt. I don't know what type of darkness that was. That was a supernatural darkness. When we look at the darkness that comes upon here in Revelation 8... Is it the effects from the previous events? Is this God's hand of judgment? We don't know. Now, you can spend all your life debating these things and getting into arguments about things that don't matter. Or we can look and see what the point is. The point is that God says sin has to be dealt with and sin has to be judged. And before you get angry and upset at God, did you catch this in verse 13? You got this angel flying around. Now, some of you in the newer translations, it doesn't say angel, it says eagle. But the point is God is warning them. Now, I don't know about you, If I was still alive on the earth at this time, and I'd already been through the previous seal judgments, and I have already been through the previous trumpet judgments, and I was still living, I would hit my knees at this point and say, Lord, I believe. I believe. Well, the sad part is some of them don't. Now, before we get into chapter 9, does anybody have any quick questions, comments, about the first four trumpet judgments here? Yeah, Ryan. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my main quick thought on that is the reason it was a third is because if you have the seal judgments, you have the trumpet judgments, you have the bowl judgments. Well, trumpet judgments are one-third of the judgments, so I'm assuming they affect one-third of things. That's just the way I've always kind of looked at it there. But it is kind of interesting how uh, chronological that is. It's one-third, one-third, one-third. Anybody else have anything you want to say here before we go? So nature has now been struck. Revelation 9, it gets much worse. Verse 1 of Revelation 9, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star falling from heaven unto the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, so the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. And out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them were given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth, that's what he'd been taken care of, or any green thing or any tree, that's what he'd been taken care of, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. Now let's stop here for a little bit. First off, let's take a look at this situation here. First one f- first, star falling from heaven. Well, we already know who that is because Jesus told us who the star falling from heaven was. You can check out the reference there in Luke 10:18. 18. Uh, Jesus said he saw Satan fall from heaven. Now, better translations have it in the past tense that a star had fallen from heaven in the past tense. Now, note, and I think this is a very important point, the key was given to him. That shows the limits of Satan's power. Once again, I've shared this story with you before. When I grew up as a kid in Sunday school, I had God the Father up above everybody else, and I had Jesus and Satan almost as equals, constantly duking it out. You know, who's going to overpower who? Who's going to overpower her? And then and when I got saved and I really started studying the Bible, it's like there, there is no comparison. You read the book of Job, and God says, I'm allowing you to touch Job. Go ahead. You know, when you see this right here, oh my goodness, Satan has opened the key to the bottomless pit and all these demonic things are coming out. Well, wait a second, God gave him the key. You know, and so you see what's going on here is God has power over him. I think that is so vital in our Christian walk because sometimes as Christians, we have a tendency to go to extremes. Extreme one is we don't even acknowledge Satan. I know Christians like, let's just not talk about him. I mean, I know he's there, but let's not talk about him. Paul said, don't be ignorant of him. Then I know other Christians that blame Satan for absolutely every single thing. It was cloudy today. That's Satan. You know, I mean, that, no, it's, sometimes it's cloudy. So you, you have to find this balance here. But what you see here in Revelation 9 is the star falling from heaven. It seems to be a picture of Satan. God gave him the key that shows God's power over him. And note where they're coming out of. This bottomless pit that in the original Greek it's abysso, abyss. And if you study this out, I put some references there. We don't have time to go through all of them today. This abyss seems to be this place where demons are kept. And what you have here in Luke 8, 31, when Jesus was casting out demons, they pleaded with Christ, don't send us to the abyss. We know when Satan fell from heaven that he took a third of the angels with him. We know some of those angels that fell were actually locked up to be used by God later on. And this is one group right here to be used by God later on. And to be honest with you, There's even some coming later that the Lord's going to use that are much worse than these guys. So they have been released. God had power over them. He allows them to be released. And now they're described a little bit as this locust thing, which we're going to get to in a little bit. But let's talk about what they do first. They attack only non-believers. Only non-believers are attacked which once again shows that people are still getting saved here in the tribulation time, which gives you a a brief bit of hope that if you have an unsaved loved one and they don't go in the rapture, it's nice to know that there is still a chance for them to come know Christ. But you don't want to be a non-believer in the tribulation. You don't. And so what happens here is they are released. They torment. Note that word torment is used again and again and again. Look at verse 5 alone to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion that strikes a man. For five months, this goes on to the point of, look at verse 6, they want to die and they can't. I remember when I first got saved, I heard a pastor teach on verse 6. And he took this passage to mean that there is not death for five months. That you will want to die, maybe even try to die, maybe events will even happen to cause to die, and you can't die. Now, that is a horrible judgment right there in and of itself. Sometimes we pray for people to be touched and healed, and sometimes the greatest healing that God can give them is to take them home. Psalm 116 says, Precious in the eyes of God is the death of one of his saints. Now, I've done lots of funerals. I've been through lots of funerals. I've experienced sorrow. But at the same time, too, if that person is born again and saved, they're not going to want to come back. So I don't know for sure with verse 6. It sure seems like in verse 6, death will flee from them. It's kind of a scary thought and you really stop and chew on that verse that's a really scary thought that's part of the punishment is you can't die because of the torment going on look at the description of these locust things verse seven the shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle on their heads were crowns of something like gold and their faces were like the faces of men they had hair like women's hair and their teeth were like lion's teeth they had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle they had tails like scorpions and there were stings in their tails their powers to hurt men five months and they had a king over them and the name of the bottomless pit the angel of the bottomless pit, excuse me whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon but in Greek he has the name Apollyon one woe is past, behold still two more are coming after these things. Now, I'm just going to blow your mind with this. Verses 7 through uh, 10, when it describes what they are, I don't know what they are. I feel very relieved saying that. I don't know. I've gone through Revelation three times. I don't know what these things are. I know people that have taught this, and they're for sure. I- I've heard so many for sure. First teaching I ever heard in Revelation 9, he told me they were helicopters. This is how John's trying to describe them. And I'm like, what? For five months, helicopters are just going to fly around and shoot people? Okay, I don't get that. I've heard some people say it's literal. It could be, but the one thing I would say is, and I put this in the notes there, in verses 7 through 10, the word like is used eight times. Now, other times in the book of Revelation, John is not saying like. He says, this is what happens. It seems like John is trying to describe something that's very difficult to describe which have led some people to say well maybe this is a 21st century technology and John does not describe 21st century technology from a you know first century perspective i don't know maybe my personal opinion i'm going to throw it out there take it or leave it i think this is a demonic thing i mean it's on a bottomless pit it's in the abyss the, the leader of this is satan they're let loose they're tormenting i think this is a demonic thing now before people start saying well wait a second here guys this is revelation this is tribulation this is demonic This is what's going on. The leader of the world at this time is going to be possessed by Satan. And in a little bit here, we're going to look and almost see something that's a demonic army. So to to think that there's some type of demonic creature going around the world and tormenting people? Okay, yeah, that sounds like sci-fi. I'll be the first to say that. But you know what? This is also the end of the world. This is God's judgment on it. And sometimes when we sit here and we think, okay, well, you know, come on. Let's try to get a reasonable explanation to this. Okay, our Savior was born of a virgin in a barn. We believe that. We believe Jonah was swallowed by some big fish. We believe Balaam's donkey talked to him. I don't know what Revelation 9 is, but I don't have a problem saying that's a pretty good description of something that's pretty funky. And I don't want to be here for it. That's what it comes down to for me. It reminds me a little bit of, um, oh, back in the Kings. And it's in 2 Kings 6. You don't need to turn there. But if you remember, there's this story here where Syria wanted to come capture Elisha. And so Syria said I'm going to send this army out to capture Elisha. And so Elisha is there on the mountain, and his servant looks out, and he sees the Assyrian army coming to capture Elisha. So his servant comes back in, and he's freaking out. As it says, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So Elisha's answer. So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see them. the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw what? The mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I believe that. I believe that there's a heavenly realm. I believe there's a demonic realm. And I believe what you're seeing here in the book of Revelation, I believe you're seeing this demonic realm being let loose. And to be quite honest, the things that have stayed invisible for thousands of years are probably now going to be visible. That's a scary thing. And it even goes one step further. Let's finish this up there. The sixth trumpet, verse 13. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now, my personal opinion, these are fallen angels. Hence, they've been bound. If these were godly angels that the Lord was serving for a purpose, I don't think they would have to be bound. That's my personal opinion. So by them being bound, I believe these are fallen angels that have been held, and the Lord will use them in this capacity. And what are they going to do? They kill a third of mankind. I think what you have here in Revelation 9, and I use this phrase lightly, I think you literally have hell being opened up and almost let loose from our perspective. This is what's going on. Let's move on here and see verse 16. Now, the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. Now, we have to stop there for a second because this is one of the most famous passages in Revelation. I believe it was back in the 1960s that China boasted of having a 200 million man army. Now, that, that's amazing. The United States has a population, I believe, of a hair over 300 million, and that's men, women, and kids. Do we have a 200 million man armed army it is absolutely amazing. Some people take this in Revelation 9, and they go ahead and they combine it with uh, Revelation 16, where it says that this army comes out of the east, and it's a demonically led army in Revelation 16, and they cross the, the dried up Euphrates River. Now, you want to combine A and B, go ahead and combine A and B. I have a few problems with combining A and B because, number one, the Revelation 16 is the bowl judgments. It's something a little bit different. It's the sixth bowl. And what we have here in Revelation 9, you have um, it's the trumpet judgments, and it also has something that seems to basically be demonic in nature once again. Now, so what does that mean? Is this a 200 million man army that is raised up that that the demons are leading and guiding from Revelation 16? Once again, it could be. This could also be a 200 million demonic force army that's let loose upon the earth. Look at it. Verse 17, And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. Now we'll just stop there for a second. Once again, we could stop here, and we can have an hour debate over the 200 million army thing is. I say it's the Chinese army coming across the Euphrates from elevation 16. Great. I say it's a demonic army that's been let loose here and that the Lord's going to use to judge. That's fine, too. You know what? We don't know. So... The point of this is what? This is judgment. That's the point. The point is this is judgment. And why is it being judged? Because we're sinful. That's the point. As God says this sin has to be dealt with. And it goes back to our first points from tonight. God is cleaning house. Sin has been built up over thousands of years, but what did we say the last point was? He still gives people a chance to repent. Look at verse 20. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works, of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols and gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk, and they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual moralities or their thefts. I'm telling you right now, I would sure think if I was a non-believer living in the world and I was at the end of Revelation 9, And I had been through the rise of the Antichrist. I had been through the one-fourth of the world killed in the sealed judgments. I had been through the trumpet judgments of the trees struck, the grass struck, the water struck, the fresh water struck. If I made it out of those five months of the locusts attacking me and, and, and stinging me, and now I saw this 200 million, either man or demonic army, my goodness, why am I not repenting? I think one of the saddest verses in the Bible, not these saddest, we're going to get to, I think, the saddest verse in the Bible here in, in, a, in a few weeks here in Revelation. But this is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. They don't repent. They don't repent. See, sometimes I get so frustrated. I have unsaved loved ones or friends and I'm talking to them. It's like, why do they not get it? Their heart's hard. I'm doing marriage counseling with them. Well, why don't they get it? Doing counseling with some other person. Why don't they get it? Because in us, as human beings, we have this hardness of heart when we will not repent sometimes. Our pride can be so strong. Our ignorance can be so strong. Our hearts can become so hard. If people's hearts are not willing to be softened by this point, I don't know what else needs to happen to get their attention. And you may look at this and say, well, I'm better than them. I don't have the idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, wood, <laughs> etc., I heard a pastor say one time, he goes, go look in your garage. See how many idols you have of wood and brass and stone in your garage. Try some truth to that. But the point of this is, God loves them. God is judging sin, but he's giving them an opportunity to repent again and again and again. And they choose not to. Next week when we get into the two witnesses, we're going to see the greatest evangelist that the world has ever seen on the scene. And we'll see if the world comes to repent then. So what we have tonight is we uh, had the trumpet judgments. Tough stuff and once again if we thought the seal judgments were bad the trumpet judgments make them look like a walk in the park if we think the trumpet judgments are bad wait till we get the bowl judgments here in a few chapters god is judging the sin of the world but at the same time he's giving grace and we got to remember, and I think we finished our study in Revelation every week by saying this, we have this information as believers. So since we have this information as believers, I would hope that this would encourage us to go out and be lights and witnesses for unsafe friends, families, and loved ones, and co-workers more than ever. We know what is coming. God help us to be in prayer for our unsafe friends and loved ones. We talked about prayer earlier tonight. I'm a firm believer. More is accomplished in prayer than what we can ever imagine. Your prayers are not ignored. They are not ignored. we got to keep praying for people, praying for us to be strong lights and witnesses because we know what is coming. Anybody have any final questions, comments here over Revelation 8 or Revelation 9? Brian. Okay. I'm just making sure that was a joke. Okay, you are laughing. Okay. okay. Yes. I will go on on a limb and say they're not sea lion judgments. Yes. Yes. Thank you for bringing humor to a dark message. I do appreciate that. Anybody else have any final questions, comments here about anything we went over in Revelation 8 or 9? Yeah, Ron. With, with the uh, Yeah. And especially when we get to uh, Revelation 12. When you get to Revelation 12, Israel finally comes on the scene, and we get a picture of that. So what you're going to get here in Revelation 12 and also Revelation 16, you're going to get into a lot of Middle East references. Because the Middle East has always been the center of the world. It always has. We, from an American mindset, think America is the center of the world. Well... From a biblical prophetic standpoint, the Middle East is the center of the world. And I, I've heard numerous people say, if you want to know what's happening in biblical time frame, he goes, just keep an eye on Israel. That's what you got to do. So good point there, Ron, especially when we get to chapter 12. We'll really see how the Middle East is the key of everything that's going on. Anybody else have any final other questions, comments here before we close up? All right, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Uh, just a quick reminder, don't forget about the prayer quilt They're back in the kitchen. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you now. Lord, as we just read these things, it's a somberness. It's a heaviness of judgment. Lord, there's also your grace. It's It's that little bit of sun shining through the clouds. Thank you for that, Lord. And as your grace has touched us, Lord, we want that grace to touch everybody we know. Lord, we all have those friends and loved ones that don't know you. Lord, we pray for them right now that they would come to know you. For those that do know you that are going backwards instead of forwards, Lord, we pray for them to go deeper in you. Lord, for those that are on the edge that have that casual relationship with you, Lord, open their heart fully to you. Lord, we pray that we would have a heart and soul focused on eternity. And I'm seeing souls get saved, that's all that matters, Lord. We lift all this up in the name of Jesus, in your name, amen. You guys have a good week, and God bless. And don't forget about Halloween Alternative tomorrow, 530 to 630.